yo, hey yo, hey yo, welcome again. We're back here this week. That's that's Stanley's Stanley's newly customized. Stanley's Stanley's giving us Stanley's giving us his own uh, spin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe maybe because I'm excited about what we're talking about today. Um, excited because it's, it's, I think it's, it's an important uh, conversation that needs to be had. Um, the place of women in Nigeria, all of the gender violence, and these days, maybe because of Twitter uh, and all of the social media, it's like live in our presence every single day. The things that women go through uh, being in Nigeria is not clear to us, but it seems like you know as is now on the increase so um so guys i'm sure you guys have had like uh, you know a very good week mm, yes you guys have yeah uh, i will have an exciting guest it's my friend so don't worry if you get into banter call us to order please <laughs> <laughs> yes um bookie williams you see okay so i i'll, I'll open with a story about bookie so I've known Vicky for a while, but I want to talk about something that happened recently. It was like a mad experience. I mean, it ties completely into uh, all of the conversation we are having today about women, violence, and all of that. Remember during the uh, NSAS protest? So I, I used to go out every day with Vicky and another friend of ours to protest um, here in Abuja. And one day they had gone ahead of me. Um, so I was taking my time getting ready, Getting sunglasses, shade, you know. Um, You're getting and sunshade and said, Look, for protests. Yes, yes. And I lost it. <laughs> Eventually, <laughs> lost it. Good for you. Just to be safe, yeah. in case there's CCTV. <laughs> yes, yes, to protect myself. Yeah, but uh, so Bookie, Bookie called and said, Hey, it's fun it's violence. We're running. I said, Hey, where are you? Where, where, where are you? I'll come and get you. And I was driving like crazy trying to find, find where they are. Eventually, we located them somewhere in Central Area. They ran into a hotel for, you know, uh, for safety. And as I drove into the hotel, as I drove to the hotel, I see these police chasing people, uh, beating them up. And at the gate of the hotel, they were beating this girl really bad. Um, they and I, I made a video of, of that incident. They were with sticks and clubs. They were beating her as if she was a, a thief, you know. Um, and then they set her bag. They wanted to find her phone. They smashed everything they could find, including her eyeglasses. You know, so, so they left her really bruised. And um, I got her into the car and then drove into the hotel and booking. And another friend of ours, you know, we all we all just sat there, stunned, you know, crying, looking at the injury. Eventually, took this lady to to get her treated and buy some drugs and take her back home. Um, and then I was looking at Buki and another friend, and you know, with all the injuries, the run, the fall, it was just it was just crazy, crazy uh, period, and, you know. And I'm not sure Buki tells people about that experience. I, I I don't know if I'm saying too much, but yeah. Uh, so Buki is a real activist in the sense of it is not that type of sit behind a desk and this thing. She gets the work done. She gets on the field, get her hand dirty, um, and do the work. And you know, uh, Buki's work for women through the organization she currently helps, T 
since one of the few executive directors I know, something I'm very proud of. When I tell you, do you know any executive director? I say, ah, Rookie. Rookie. So what? So what? So what? So what? Executive director today. Big fish. Yes, big fish. So, Senior management <laughs> levels. Ah. Yes, yes. So that's that's the idea. Rookie, <laughs> the executive director of uh, education at the vaccine. Um, focused on everything women empowerment. You know. Uh, gender-based violence and all of that. Buki is a Malala, uh, Malala fellow. Buki doesn't say all her achievements. She just, why do you keep it inside your wardrobe, please? What is wrong with you, Buki? Please, when it's important, you know, we bring it out. But as of now, yeah, I think I think maybe it's that Nigerian humility thing. I think so. I think. Um, hey. I, um, I think. I think. Wait, I think. There's, I think there's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing huge. It's nothing humble about the Nigerians. I think exactly. Nigerians, I know, I know, but but we like to we like to weaponize humility, don't we? we like to weaponize it. In, yeah, in certain contexts, <laughs> when you when you see someone who's older than you and stuff like that. But outside that, I know, hmm. I know. So 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 Buki is the executive director of education as a vaccine. Um, you know, they do a lot of work around women, and I, and I think that at some point Buki will tell us more about the work she does. Uh, and her passion for for the rights of women, for women empowerment, for education, um, and for rights of everyone generally. You know, she's very passionate about it. Until you meet Buki, you, you not understand what I mean by she's very passionate. She invests everything into the work she does, and it's really like she's inspiring. So Buki today wants to talk about some of the things that you drive, um, mm. some of the women issues you drive, girl, child, education, and and things like that. And I was looking at something today. I saw something online today. It's a video of um, uh, some ladies. I think this happened during the Salah, where um, they were coming from the mosque and they were men were screaming at them, you know, shouting at Baya and Baya Baya. According to the tweet, tweet is that the the Imam had preached about. Um, how ungodly some of the abide and women were uh, is, and you know that has sort of riled up the men, and they were shooting uh, two young ladies. Yes, I don't know if you saw the video, right? No, I Did haven't you see? seen the video. I haven't seen the video. So there is that video online, you know, and then there is. So this is the type of violence that women go through in Nigeria. Mm. How rampant is this? <laughs> how rampant? But you know, <clears throat> for me, it's it's always crazy when we talk about you know violence in Nigeria because it is it is very prevalent, right? It is it's like in our everyday. I, I one of the things that you know when we talk about violence, I just say like the truth of the matter, it's it's a rite of passage for any young person in Nigeria to face violence. Let's be honest. Not that boys don't face violence, but it's 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 a rite of passage. We use violence as language. We use violence as training, we use violence as love, we use violence as care. You know what I mean? So violence is just so ingrained in the way we we even we even exist and coexist in Nigeria, right? And 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 for children, it's so normalized, right? I remember reading the violence against children survey um, that was released by UNICEF in 2015. It's like, you know, one in four girls who face some form of violence, sexual violence in many cases, and like one in 10 boys who face sexual violence, but like one in six 
will face physical violence. And often, you know, all of this violence is done by people that they know, either in their families, in their communities, either as teachers, you know, religious leaders, friends, people that they trust. So violence is so normalized in Nigeria. And, and it really just comes from the fact that we don't believe that boys and girls, men and women are equal. We really just do not believe that. Even for, you know, you know when you're always joking around with guys, you're having conversations and, you know, all of those things and things come up like, you know, women in leadership or girls um, in leadership. And you just hear them say, well, like, it's not a natural thing for girls to want to lead. It's not natural. You know, it's so like ingrained that for them, it requires a, a shift in their thinking for them to see girls as leaders, for, for them to see, um, and, and, and when I mean leaders, I mean leaders of both men and women, right? It's easy to see women as leaders of women, right? And to see girls, as, so there's the head girl, and you know, she's responsible for the girls. I remember when we were talking last year, we were doing some work around sexual harassment in universities. And there were girls who were like vice presidents um, within student governments. And they were saying that within the constitution of most student governments um, documents, you know, there's really not a role for the vice president except to be in charge of socials for the orientation week. That is all. So as by your vice president and your girl, but all you're responsible for is one week out of the school year. What, 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 what? <laughs> That's, that's that's like it's so exactly it's so it, it makes no sense but that like and and people don't connect the dots right violence is like the the most visceral part of gender inequality right it's a spectrum it doesn't just start with violence it it builds up to violence it normalizes the violence it makes the violence normal that all of us walk around think Yes, it's 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 normal. Like, oh yeah, if a woman talks too much, or she confronts a man in a certain way, then she deserves a beat down to be reminded of her space. That's why women in politics who go into politics talk a lot about the kind of violence that they face because violence often, and the way I see it, and from the readings and and from what I've just seen, it's like it's a reminder to put women in their place. To so, remind so, them that you are not, you do not have power in this society, and you're not a leader. <laughs> let, let me let me pick on something. The thing you said about uh, the student union vice president, um, you know, being just given that one week of responsibility during student orientation. I've always been against the whole um, offering token to women as, mm -hmm. as a form of women empowerment, right? Mm -hmm. And I, and I said this because I remember one day thinking that how useful is the Ministry of Women Affairs? How <laughs> does that <laughs> women problem, right? And mm -hmm. some lady was extremely violent about her response to me, you know, when I was saying like, it's a pointless agency if it is um, a token offered to women as, as access to the Federal Executive Council, you know, but the person just thought I was, I was being uh, malicious about women being given access to power. But I think that those little tokens do not solve problems. The problems are foundational, right? That creating a separate office to solve it does not exactly mean that someone is serious about it. I don't know what you think about it. 
So for me, you know what? I, I do actually think it's an important conversation to talk about Ministry of Women Affairs because it, you know, in a, in a sense, if you're talking about it just kind of in general, is it needed? We do need um, we do need something to be able to be able to ensure that women's issues are not considered tokenistic, right? Or that are able to bring the issues of women and girls, and this is all women and girls, right? Not just the same kind of women and girls, all women and girls in Nigeria, either they live in rural areas, either they're in displacement, either they're living with disabilities, either they're LGBTQI, even though you know, Nigeria is about that. But we do need a ministry that does bring it to the forefront, that does engage with different other ministries to make it happen. And many would argue that it might be better to just have gender officers who are able to understand the gendered impacts of various issues within those ministries so that something can be done about it. But, you know, the idea behind a Ministry of Women Affairs made sense, but the way it has been reduced to what it is now is a problem because we know that it becomes a political game the same way there are women leaders within political parties that are there to just make women feel comfortable, right? Not giving them any power and authority. I see the only qualification a woman leader needs just to be a woman, not that she can be a political strategist. You know what I mean? Not that she can be a communication specialist. And then the same thing with Minister of Women Affairs, right? Mama Taraba just died. And it's been interesting to see how people are venerating her. Like, ah, she did so much. She was so great. But the thing that I remember the most about Mama Taraba was that she went before the CEDAW committee. And they were asking her how legal frameworks are improving the lives of women and men, uh, women in Nigeria and the issues, right? Mm-hmm. Around it, like the VAP not being domesticated, gender-based discrimination. And this woman goes into a story about how she's a lawyer and you know she's been able to do so much for, for herself and move this issue forward. Is that what they asked you? Do you understand? Like you, I remember watching the thing and thinking like, oh, oh my God. Oh my God! Did they not prep this woman? What is she talking about? What is she talking about? Like they're asking about legal framework. They're talking about you as a lawyer. So people are venerating her and understand she was strong politically. But these are the things they do in which they will now put these women as minister of women affairs who have no understanding, right? Who have no understanding of, of gender? Who have no understanding? Of, of what it means to build power and access to be able to, you know, improve the life of women and girls, not just be there to just talk or, you know, Pauline Talon as well. She's really passionate about these issues and, and she really cares. But the truth of the matter is like, I don't need you Pauline Talon to come and tell me that it is bad in Nigeria or that violence against women has increased. What I need you to do is to leverage your political power you access within APC and tell them to get their shit together and do some things, invest, get that money, girl. Do you understand? Like make your ministry the best funded ministry because you have access to these to these people. You know, don't come and, and, and be wailing like I am wailing. Ma'am, you you should have power. You should have access. Right. I mean, I, 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 mean, I, I, I think about. I think on that note, on that note, she's only she's only been like the uh, the men, the male politicians as well, because that's all they do. They get into power and then come to us to ask us to pray for Nigeria. And I'm like, um, hold on, wait a minute. You were elected into, to solve the problem. I don't. I, hello, what's going on here? 
But yeah, carry yeah. on. <laughs> very true. No, it's very true. But for me, I feel like, you know, one of the things that really, and, and Sandy knows, one of the things that really like drove me insane was when COVID um, happened. We didn't um, start really understanding the impact of COVID until like March, April, but it was earlier in other countries. And one of the things that was coming out about those countries was that because of the lockdown, violence against women and girls was increasing. Violence against children was increasing. And so before Nigeria was going to actually lock down, a lot of us were asking questions like, okay, so what is Nigeria going to do? What is going to be Nigeria's response? I remember in like beginning of March, Kenya was releasing insane numbers. It was South Africa um, in terms of like just the number of calls that they were getting and in terms of the reports. And we were like, well, one thing we don't have in Nigeria is data. And I remember some people were contacting me to be like, do you have data? I was like, I only have data in the space that I work in. I don't have data for Nigeria as a country. Students, you have data for Nigeria as a country? Like, <laughs> why are you people asking me what the data is? And, and, and also, so what's your plan? You know, how are we going to make sure that there's shelters? Do we have shelters? Who's going to be open during this time so that, you know, we're able to receive calls? Would we be able to respond to these cases? Would you make sexual and gender-based violence essential services? Hey, like, people are like, people are like, oh, we're only going to be closed for two weeks. You know, life is more important. Da, da, da. All we can do is beg the state to do something. Huh? And I sat there and I was like, what, like, what are you people thinking? And then when everything started happening, then you started seeing people moving around like, oh my God, oh my God. And then now some people not went and, and make sure some people got, um, some people got passes, but not everybody, you know, it, it was just so chaotic and so unplanned when we could have planned these things. So for me, I, I do understand why people feel frustrated with the Ministry of Women Affairs, but I also know that they're not giving, you know, the support that they need. They're not giving the funding that they need. Their work keeps getting taken from them and being politicized, right? Because it used to be Ministry of Women Affairs and Social Development. They took social development away from them. Some of their work is being given to labor. Some of their work is being given to humanitarian affairs. So it's almost like, what exactly? are we doing here and who's or who are we in service to so i mean i understand it i get it and i know they're trying to do the best that they can but another thing that even just frustrates me about it is that people even within their it's civil service do they even have the technical capacity to understand that we're talking about systems and structures mm. right that exist mm. that require some technical knowledge to be able to address these issues and to be able to find solutions. Because if your analysis of the situation and the issues are already bad, your solution is just going to be just as bad. And so that's where we're so at. Let me, yeah. So let me let me let me ask one more question. And I'm sure my my friends are also tend to come forward with their questions. But um one very issue that is top burner right now is um Amy, the Imi case mm -hmm. in Akwaibo, in Umeo. Yes. Um, an innocent job seeker who, um, you know, responded, you know, had put out a tweet and asking for a job and help from anyone in Akwaibo. And this rapist and killer mm -hmm. uh, responded, sent number and met up with her uh, and rape, rape tasks were seen because he has, you know, he's, 
is saying that they had sex, but I don't see how that is consensual. You know, even if she agreed to, because she's looking for a job, she's willing to help, and she was willing to do anything to get a job. But I do not believe she agreed to have sex with him as he's claiming, right? But eventually led to her death. This is this is believed experience of Nigerian women. You know, mm-hmm. at what place they are being harassed on a daily basis um, uh, for sex in return for the basic things that they are entitled to, right? Um, do you think that the state is doing enough to protect women? That's on one side, or that every lesson is being. Sorry, I should have uh, your question. It was involuntary reaction. Okay, I got your answer on that one. Okay, do you think uh, <laughs> that was funny? Do you think do you think that uh the state is capable of learning? And I don't mean acquired, but I mean the state, the government in Nigeria is capable of learning any lessons from this incident. Do you think there's lessons been so learned many about? incidents, Stanley? There's been so many incidents that at, at one point you start to wonder when are they going to learn? Do you get what I'm saying? When are they going to learn? Um, because it's it's not just any right any is just the most re- recent casualty last year we all lost our minds when we heard about the death of a whaler right yeah. in Edo state mm-hmm. it was like this mm-hmm. girl was trying to doing a pandemic to still keep up with her studies maybe the house is too loud or whatever so she went to church to go study and they came raped and murdered her in a church Baccarat was coming out of taking a bath and, and was raped and killed in, you know, yesterday. Like, it's, this thing is so everyday. I mean, like, we are all working around with PTSD. Just okay, from- you, you remember, sorry to cut you, remember a state governor reconciling um, the In Bay State. In State, that had just passed the VAP, which before they passed the VAP in Bay State, the legislators got angry when they read the content of it, saying that men did not have the right to beat their wives. <laughs> so, like, angry. Did you get? They were like, what do you mean we can't correct our women? Wow. And threw it out. That now, and then what now led to the process of it coming back was the case of Ochania. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if you remember the case of Ochania, who was being raped by um, he, her um her uncle and his and his son, her own cousin. This was a young girl of like 13, 14. They raped her to the point that she ended up in the hospital and died from her injuries. So at this point, you're like, when is the state going to learn? When? What is it going to take? Is it when? I don't, what, what is it? What is it going to take? Reading about what's happening in the Northeast, sex for food exploitation, what is it going to take? Universities currently, I believe, you need, you, like female students in universities and now it's even started to affect boys are under siege. In which like a girl, if you catch the attention of a lecturer, do you get like there is, there really is just few, few avenues for you to speak up, for you to say anything. Like you have lecturers now who are not allowing girls to bring phones to meetings because they don't want to be taped. 
or that they won't talk to you directly. They will now tell one of the guys in the school or another girl to call you, that when you are ready, you should call them so that there's no evidence of you, of them calling you on, their, on your phone. Wow. As in like, they're even trying to circumvent existing processes and rules to be able to. So at this point, I'm like, state, when are they going to learn? Because then when you go and talk to some of these men, to be like something is to be done. The first thing is like, what do you mean? Have you seen girls these days? The way they dress, you know, the way they dress, the way they behave. Sometimes they come to us and I'm like, and, and what, what I realized is that there's, there's an article that Charmaine Pereira wrote like 20, 30 years ago that just talks about corruption and how corruption has fed into, into, into the breakdown of our institutions. And that has an impact on violence, right? And in being able to answer it because we have such corrupt systems that it makes it difficult to take things like violence against women and girls seriously, right? Because it's just a continuation of that and, and, and the way it is. So for me, I feel like states know what to do. I mean, you at least have Lagos State that has the domestic and sexual violence response team that at least has some level of coordination um, that has, uh, you know, that work really well with civil society and ensuring that you have a number to call and to be able to ensure that the response exists. You see what's happening in AKC because um, PCPIME's work, ensuring yes. the VAT is actually a law. Exactly, a law that works ensuring that exactly, exactly. And there's a sex offenders register. The attorney general is he has made it his own personal vendetta. You know, the thing about it is like so we know what to do. It's very clear, but the fact that we have to be begging states to pass the violence against persons prohibition act, you have to beg them to fund sexual assault referral centers so that people can get access to free services. Like you have to beg them. Um, you have to beg the national government to fund the police because if you go to a family support unit, the problem is they don't have money for investigations. So if you want to investigate, you pay for paper, you pay for fuel, you pay for uh, prison services to and pick up the perpetrator. How many people have money to do that in Nigeria? So the thing about this, is like that's why I laughed because if we first to talking about states being able to respond, they definitely do not want to it does that's the thing they don't want to because they can and it's also the same with insecurity in nigeria they don't want to they don't care about the way it impacts women they don't care about the way it impacts children they pay lip service to it but it's very clear that they're like mm -mm. and there's really and they hide behind the fact that we live in a society like i said that just believe that women should not have rights to their own bodies Women should not have power. And so that it's easy to hide and be like, eh, which leads back to that Abaya conversation that you're saying is like, why would you say that's an Abaya? It's bad. If you do not believe that, oh, it's showing off women's body parts and how dare they be walking around, moving about like human beings when they should be hiding inside houses so that you cannot see them and you cannot be tempted. What other reasons do you have for that? So anytime you want to talk about it, it's like, ah, they dress indecently. That's the way they are talking. That's the way they are behaving. Is that how a woman behaves? Is that how a girl should behave? You see a girl of a two-year-old and you'd be like, ah, this two-year-old is already behaving like an asshole. Hey, two-year-old, why is your mind here? What are you talking about? Why? 
and, and and just to sorry sorry yeah go on go on but I, just, I just wanted to add something you know one of to what you just said okay and what one of the things that amazes me is that it's not to me it's not really um it's it's just a case of if you're poor if you're a woman and you're poor then you don't matter because these same rules you 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 find that these same rules don't apply to the otedolas um or the very rich we've had the same you will not see this for example this abaya uh situation now apply to the children of wealthy you know um people who are who are dear to the muslim faith or do you understand so my question and even if even in christianity as well you also get all the all of that conservative talk about so Bane, what is the abaya um abaya situation for anyone listening apparently <laughs> I, I think apparently what what the little bit i know about it is that i didn't really read much into it because i was a bit i was just i was just i was just I'm just like I've just gone to that point where I'm just tired and I'm concerned about the growing conservatism in both and hardening of attitudes in Nigeria generally when it comes to um, so- socially you know there's just seem to be this hardening of attitudes recently you know like nationwide where they're like oh the west I think some people have been able to convince Nigerians that the west is somehow it's trying to erode uh it's trying to erode our social norms and so what i understand about abaya is that i think it's a it's a it's a dressing that is less conservative than i think the, the hijab and i think the uh nika that's what that's my understanding i could be wrong i don't want to say what i don't know but the crux of the matter was that what one of the tweets i read today about it was that uh the guy was like it wasn't actually according to the text the holy text that that was not how that's not how women are meant to dress my question is you know all of this when it comes to faith and religion mm. you have to you have to always take context context when these texts were written you know the context the cultural context of that time and the cultural mm. context of today you now have mm. to you, you have to sit down and look at it contextually so you know and this is what preachers should be preaching to their followers that just as we're no longer riding on 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 the on the back of horses do you know our, and we are no longer dressed we're no longer dresses we're setting garbs and we're not using modern you know uh, methods to preach and to to mm-hmm. communicate so it's also should we sort of like you know i don't i don't know how to put it but like we need to also look at how does this fit in, in this yeah how, how does this fit in, in today's world you know and this is this is one of the things that you know and it has ha- the, the annoying thing is that it actually has happened there's history to show that really both all the major religions of the world are not practiced today as they're practiced five six eight hundred years ago it, it's actually so my question is why are you trying to bring why are you trying to why are you trying to um take us back to that place but i just wanted to just make that point that there seemed to be this um it's another it's another i, I think that just a very classist society where you know of course most of us are poor so if you're, if you're a woman and you know you're most likely poor as well because <laughs> men because you know there's that discrimination you know about empowering women they are less they are, a woman tends to be less educated than the man 
so mm -hmm. that has less economic power. So my point is that women are poorer, and and because most of them are poorer, they they have all this extra load pushed on them. But I just want to quickly move from that to my question. My question, the question I wanted to ask you is that one, how how can we how can we how can we force state because one of the, one single theme that read through your responses today that the states don't want to act the politicians don't want to act how can we make how can we people like people in your position in the everyday person how can we force them to at least do some of the basics you know in terms of protecting the girl child and, and women how how what what can what do you think in your opinion can be done what kind of pressure do you think makes them sit up because you know it, they, there's one thing about nigerian politicians they have they they, they they lack the capacity to be um ashamed you know they lack the capacity to be sorry can you hear me can you guys hear me clearly can hear you. Okay, cool. All right. So the typical Nigerian politician lacks the capacity uh, to, to be ashamed when caught with their palms down. So my question is, and usually world over, shame is is like <laughs> it's like what you use to you know to correct politicians. Yeah, you, you, you know, they don't want to be shamed. So how 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 in your opinion do you think we can we can find this. And then secondly, I want two questions in one. Secondly, what have you found in your fight have been are the worst attitudes in terms of from the general from the general public mm -hmm. against against your fight, you know, to protect women from violence, to empower women and, and stuff like that. So one is how can we get politicians to act? And two, how how what what attitudes have you found are the most you know creating barriers to to the kind of the amazing work that you and other like-minded organizations are doing mm -hmm. so i'll start with the last question because it builds on some of the things that you were saying and you know i think when we say patriarchy people kind of dismiss it and be like mm, you people have come again and i'm a feminist right so it's always yeah. like uh -huh, you feminists mm -hmm. destroyers of families and culture and heathens who do not want you know jesus to come back or allah to bless us you know, so it's like who you people have come again but you know what the truth is it is patriarchy this system that exists that really just say that you know that everything that is good and everything that exists was built by men or men you know to conquer and, and all of these things. And so, you know, that's how we just kind of understand the world around us. And it make, and it's a frame through which people understand any issues that happens, right? It is how we build our society. It's the yeah. same reason why if a woman only has girls, they're like, hmm, wow. They'll start praying for you to give birth to a boy. I mean, we might say, ah, that's your culture, but it's in your rock culture. It's not our culture. Because the truth of the matter is that if you, even in a do culture, wherever, see, <laughs> you born a boy, ha, ah, the prayers that would, that would reach there to be able to ensure because inheritance is passed down through, you know, male progeny, not 
girls because I don't know, girls are not smart enough to be able to handle property. I don't, whatever it is that they used to, to define that or whatever it is. And, and, and it is a system. So when people are even mad at like, oh, you're always tackling men, this gender wars. And I'm like, God, nobody has time for you, bro. Like go and sit down somewhere. Nobody's talking about you. People are talking about systems and structures that exist, that define how we relate to each other as a community, as a culture, the laws. If you look at the Nigerian constitution, somebody was even saying that I think there's only two times she is mentioned, like he is, is the general all of us. Meanwhile, the, the clauses that relate to women and non-discrimination is non-justiciable. So what are we talking about? Do you know what I mean? From the very way that you built the system to exist, women are an afterthought in everything. Um, that we do. Girls are an afterthought in everything that we do. So women and girls are constantly paying catch up and constantly having to be, ha have to fight to be recognized, to be understood, to be seen. And that's the society that we exist in. So, you know, it then speaks to the, to, to the issue of, you know, answering that your second question, which is like, you know, what do we face? It, it's that we consistently have to convince people that women are human and they deserve respect. You constantly have to do that. And then we always have to justify why women should be in spaces, why, you know, if you want to talk about girl education, you have to justify why girls should be able to go to school. Like you have to convince people as to the benefits of it. So you now see all of us in civil society bending over to be like, well, if you educate a girl, that means, you know, it reduces the likelihood of her child dying before the age of five. You know, can you all hear me? Yeah, well, I can hear you. Okay, yeah, yeah yep. it reduces okay. the likelihood of, 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 of her baby dying before the age of five. Or if you educate a girl, you educate a nation. If you educate a girl, you will increase the economic uh, development by 5.5, kinikon, kinikon, kinikon. You know, I'm just joking around with that because sometimes it frustrates me to even be talking about it. But it's almost like, can we just educate her because she's a girl and she's human and deserves the right to be educated and want access to knowledge? Can, can that not be good enough? But no, it is not good enough. I mean, when we even started talking about violence, it was kind of like, we need to start talking about what the economic cost of violence is so that people can understand that even violence against women and girls is bad for the economy. Wow, we can't just say that it's bad. <laughs> we can't just say that it is bad and you people should stop this nonsense. Huh? What do you get? And, and so that for me is it. And, 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 and it goes to then answer the question like, for us, that's what we have to do. We constantly have to go and dig into text and dig into, into, into the Bible so that I can use it to argue with a pastor about why women deserve rights. And I have to go and be asking somebody, like in the Quran, what does it say about women's inheritance? Because you know, when we were fighting and we're still fighting for the Gender and Equal Opportunities Bill to domesticate um, the Convention on the Elimination of discrimination against women and girls, CEDAWS, and then also the Maputa Protocol on, on, on African and human rights and people's rights, which is the, the women's rights um, part of the, of the African human rights legal framework, which Nigeria ratified, but has not domesticated. And so the Gender and Equal Opportunities Bill is to, is to ensure the domestication of that. And when you now talk to men, even men with civil society will tell you, well, that bill is not going to pass. It's not going to pass, I'm very sorry to say. It's not going to pass. Nobody's going to pass that. 
And, and, and the reason they will justify it is like, you know, these men, they will see it as they push back on them. They don't see themselves in the bill because, you know, it, discrimination, uh, when you're addressing discrimination against women, you can then now turn to start discriminating against men. So all of us will have to sit down, we'll start doing research. You know, we'll start, we, we'll start looking in, into these issues to be like, okay, so when I look at the Quran, what does it say about women's inheritance? When I look at the Bible, what does it say, you know, about female leadership? What does it say about women um, being able to decide when they want to get married? About women being able to say that, you know, I have a right to my own body. I get the right to decide how many children I want to have and all of those things. So we, we will start digging into texts and start doing research to be able to have these conversations and to be able to get people to, to understand. We'll start bringing histories of Queen Amina, Queen Naira and some Kuti. You know, we'll start bringing all these historical people to be able to tell people that, you know, women can do it. I promise. They start with the work. <laughs> understand us. We are here. We, we can do it. You know, yeah. don't us, look at us and, and think we can't. And so we're constantly having to prove that women can do it and constantly having to show that women have the ability if they're just given the, the opportunity to be able to do it. And, and, and sadly, it works. <laughs> you well, know, you're able to make, it works. And so we have to continue to do it. it it's frustrating that we have to, but we are forced to constantly do it. And we're forced to constantly having to remind people that it's not a personal vendetta. That maybe me as a feminist, me, Bookie Williams as a feminist, might have issues with certain men. But really, like, it's not you personally. Like, I really don't care about you, sir, as you're standing in front of me. I care about a system that makes it possible for you to think that you're superior to me and gives you the tools and resources to continue to use that superiority against me as a person and against other women who don't have access right to the same kind of things that i have mm -hmm. and, and it's really important and i think it's also important to to remind us that even though it seems that we are in a classless society in which money can protect women but often i promise you that it only protects you but so much it really does it only but protects you but so much because you will always be reminded by some man in traffic that he has somebody like you at home. You'd you be minded yes. by oh. some man who will look at you and tell you that at the end of the day, maybe you go to Shiloh to be praying for a man like me. Do you get Because no matter how much money you make, no matter how insulated you are from this thing, somebody is waiting to remind you that you're a woman. And that you are not more than your reproductive system. Yes, yeah, you're, you're, not, you're, you're not. You're not more than. You're not more than to become a wife. Exactly, and a mother. <laughs> and like, if you don't like, look at what happened with Adesua, right? And and she's mm -hmm. sharing her fertility story, and that people on the internet, people on our God's internet, on a just internet, moving <laughs> to this young woman and telling her that why is she talking when she doesn't have a kid when she's only been married for I don't know two years. Do you get like what what how and 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 she's wealthy she you would think she she wouldn't you know care about these things but like it is hurtful it is mean-spirited and it is like saying that for all of the things that she's achieved and for however happy she may be with her husband the fact that she hasn't had a child yet means that she's not 
you know, a woman or, you know, or she, she don't have a right to speak, you know, as a married woman, you just constantly get, constantly get those reminders about that. And I think it's, it's quite important to always be able to push back against that. And the truth of the matter is that I'm really glad that you're all guys here. Um, I know you want to ask me another question, but let me just end with this is that for me, what I've also kept telling a lot of men, because men often want to come and be like, you people don't understand feminism. Feminine is not misandry. Please, 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 just because you read the dictionary, don't bother me. <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell, do you want to help? Do you, do you want to explain feminism to me? You know what you should do? Don't bother about me, bro. Go and talk to another guy. Go to your church and wake up one day and be like, you know what, pastor, today, I'm going to preach about feminism and I'm talking to all the men in the room. Go and talk to the men. Go and talk to the boys. Face them. Don't come and that's, talk to me. That's I'm what I was actually going to women. say. You know, men don't listen to me. Sometimes I'll be talking and men will be like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they'll turn around and be like, what you know? And you know that everything that you have said, that I've whispered the life out. But if a man says it, they're like, it's true. It's true. What you're saying is right. You're very correct. My brother, you're right. So I didn't. Oh, you disguise. But I just said it. <laughs> I really said. I really just said the same thing in the oh, same. You using the same word. Oh, you. Then oh, you, you disguise. Like, Yo, when your brother said it, now it makes sense, huh? So that's why I'm like, <laughs> if you want to be a male feminist, if you really want, you want the title so bad, I will give you a placard. Yeah, bookie, bookie. Before bookie. I you ask, ask you a question quickly. Do you believe in do you believe in having in having allies? Because I think that's a tricky issue. Allies, you know, male allies, you know, there's that issue of people saying, Oh, a male ally is uh, there's this derogative word now that everyone now uses. If you're a male ally, you're a simp. Or you're simping, or you you are doing you are doing notice me, you know mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, I, I want you to, I want you to take that ask that ask take that question, note it down, and then follow yeah, it, and then Mondi you ask as well, and then you answer it together. I was hey. I was even, I was even going to say, yeah, bookie. I was I I was even going to say most of the time when you speak about um, issues of feminism, the first thing guys will say if you come with that energy she's not gonna shag you mate yeah she's not <laughs> <laughs> yep she's not gonna shag you <laughs> she's not. you know so um i, I what i've seen because i've heard this argument of people that you, you can't that you can't be a male feminist and it's come from uh, um women as well that you can't you, you you can't be a male feminist but for me what i what i always focus on Mm-hmm. When it comes to feminism, is you have to be careful because as a guy, you operate at a completely different level. You can't mm-hmm. directly relate to the struggle. So you have to understand that first, understand your privilege. And the first thing you should want to do is to listen. Listen first before you even say anything. Mm-hmm. Like I, it really um it worries me when I see a lot of guys with strong opinions about feminism, about the struggle of a woman. I'm like, you don't have a clue what these people go through. Like, even if you think, you know, you don't, you don't experience it directly. You know, like, why don't you spend more time listening? You know, and it, it really worries me. You know, there was this conversation that I had with a few of my friends on, on an Arsenal podcast. Like we, we really talk at length and it was just guys and, you know, 
especially when you are speaking to Nigerians, you have to understand your audience. Know mm. your audience, like KYC. Do your due diligence. Know who you are. <laughs> and expect a certain as a, as a true ex- AML man. You understand, yeah. like and expect a certain reaction, right? So, when we started this conversation, the disguise was: don't mention feminism, don't mention anything relating to OZ or anyone that might trigger them. Forget mm. those things. Just talk about the issues, the issues. So when you when you um when you isolate those issues and just make sure that everything they see or hear is about the issues so now bookie might tell us about maybe the most extreme cases that women face in nigeria today you can put those points across without mentioning feminism and and the reason is those people who are looking for an excuse to gaslight you, who are looking for an excuse to diminish what you are saying. I know a lot of people, once they hear feminism, they switch off. Oh, yeah. You understand? And I'm like, how can you even... It's very similar to the Black Lives Matter thing where once they see Black Lives Matter, they're like, oh, yeah. Communists. Oh, they're here again, you know, like, but uh, uh, political correctness and all that. Like, Uh, we don't know what we are going to say now that will offend this person and all. So when they see, once they see feminism, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You understand? So I think my question is that you've sort of answered the first part, which is, what men should do mm-hmm. you know, if you want to be if you want to be seen as be seen as as an ally and mm-hmm. that's that's what i do really because i don't really tweet a lot even though i feel guilty uh about it at times because i might think okay i'm a man it's easier for me to sort of like just ignore and not tweet about it but i spend mm-hmm. more time in cl- behind closed doors talking to guys you know when when we talk about issues we raise it and we speak about it and most of the time like you said you're right they rarely argue when you lay those when you put those points across because it's about the real issues right i'm a muslim and i'm talking about house of saud right so i'm mixing religion with uh gender issues and i'm saying i have a problem not with saudi arabia but with the guys controlling the country the House of Saud, the way they treat women, like women can't vote, women can't do this and that. I have a big problem with that. So people can argue with me because I'm a Muslim. <laughs> you understand? So they can't, they can't say, oh, you know. So it, it takes that out of the way. And you ask that question, why in 2021 do we still have a sovereign state that a lot of Western countries do business with that has this policy on women? And, you know, it's just, just normal. Like, oh, yeah, you don't talk about it, you know. Okay. I, think, I, think, I think what I tell you, I think what I'll tell you, sorry to, and you, asked, you asked Bookie, right? You know what, <laughs> Bookie, carry on. This is your show, actually. Sorry. Yeah, so so Bookie, before, before you come in, I am going to say, because we, we talked about um, society and government. So the government part, you know, it, it is the more depressing one. The society is my bigger is, is my bigger worry because most of these issues, in fact, all of these issues start from society and it's you know it's part of our fabric now, patriarchy and and all that. And the fact that we don't spend more time raising boys, we just 
put all the energy into girls and tell them how to be this and that. Like <laughs> people didn't really raise me properly in terms of how to treat a woman. Like really, like in terms of the issues, I had to learn all these things by myself, right? So now, how do you, what, what practical solutions do you think we have right now in terms of addressing these, these issues from a societal standpoint? fundamentally what are the practice like I, we know about media movies and all that but it from from your sort of pr- professional uh, uh, um uh, view wh- mm-hmm. what what are the practical solutions do you think we have yeah and thank you for asking that that you know there's quite a few things and the the hard part of telling people is that you have to take a long-term view to these kind of situations. It's not something that's going to change in six months, in two years. It's really like we need to just keep going and keep doing the work because it got us to this point, right? To the point where we actually feel that women can be experts in their work, you know, women can now vote, all of these issues, right? It literally was a process to get us here. So we have to build on those processes. And what got us um, to get to these processes is literally right by doing the work of having dialogues like i always say we have to go to the communities we have to there's really no way around it and we just have to invest that and that's part of the work that we do we go into communities your top leaders you're having dialogues with young people you're having dialogues with religious leaders you're having dialogues with with community structures that already exist either they're working for peace or they're addressing certain issues and you go in there and you try to really just understand. And when you sit there and talk with them and just have the conversation about like, what are the issues in your community? What are the issues that people bring to you? How do you address it? How do you, how do you handle it? How, 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 you know, are these issues understood? And when you start breaking it down, you realize that there's a lot of reports around violence. There's a report, lot of report around discrimination, especially as it affects women. And, and a lot of them, they just don't have the capacity to be able to address them. So by the time you come and be like, actually, we can help you understand it better and we can help you learn how to prevent it. And we can also help you figure out how to connect better to systems within your state or within your community that could actually address it, right? And then you start to see them be like, oh, because one of the things we did in Nasarawa State is we looked at the community peace structures that had been built to address the pastoral headsman crisis in the community. And it turned out like family disputes had been reported to them, but they just didn't really know how to handle it. So we were like, ah, let's help with that. So we had a lot of conversations. We had a lot of capacity. We had a lot of training. We brought in police. We brought in civil defense. We brought in health workers who are working on these issues. We brought in the ministries and they started having conversations. And now in those communities, they're reporting cases. There was a community where they didn't realize that girls were being kidnapped at such a high rate. It was now they were like, oh, wait a minute. Hmm that's what's happening or issues of early marriage and now they have the capacity to address it or even dealing with domestic violence even dealing with rape and really that did not just start that's like six years of work (laughs) right because you built trust in that community you worked with them on other issues and now you're like oh on this structure that exists can we include this issue can we talk about it and they're realizing that it's also addressing that a problem that they had and it's making the community safer it's making them feel more comfortable and so all of these things is you just have to put in the time and the effort so all of these conversations that we're having that can feel so tiring and can feel like we're repeating it we just have to keep having them because that is what is going to change the hearts and minds and then you can add on 
you know, the media, you can add on whatever other economic benefits that come with it, but really starts from conversations and changing. And that's why we often also go to religious leaders and be like, because, you know, with an Afro-barometer study, we realize that in most African countries, people trust religious leaders more than they trust politicians, right? Those are who they believe in and listen to and adhere to. So we need them at the pulpit, the imam, the traditional rulers talking about women's rights. We need them doing that so they can preach about it. Because if you're in a church and you're pre preaching that a man should not lay hands on a woman, you're shifting that dynamic, right? When you're able to say that I as a preacher have power and I need to use that in a way that does not make me a predator, <laughs> to women in my congregation, you know, that lesson would be important for like that Koza dude. Do you understand? And people would have held him accountable for that. When then? I have to go there because please, oh, oh, you get what I'm saying? Because 100%. people would be like, oh, it's not rape. Oh, it's not this. But the thing about it is like, people do not understand power dynamics. Do you get it? It's a lot of respect for this man. And if he comes to you and he says like, oh, by me laying hands on you, you know, like, do you recognize your power? And do you know what it means? Do you get what I'm saying? And that you need to be held accountable to that. Like, touch not my anointed was not about you, brother. Like, it was not about you. Wow. It was you not touching his anointed. Do you get what I'm saying? Stop touching. Facts. 100%. Anointed that was brought to your church. 100%. You. Factor. I was Factor. I was seriously hoping you wouldn't become violent at some point. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's, why it's, that's why it's important. That's why it's important. You know, when you have an imam really talking about this and saying that you should be taking care of your family and care for your family equals respecting your wife and your and her rights and not locking her inside the house when you leave. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and ensuring that she also gets the choice of how many children that you're going to have, that you can communicate that she has a right in this household. I mean, when you start to have those kind of conversations, comes important because it changes. Because the thing about advocates, and, and we realize, and I always tell people that I work with, is that we're human beings, and we have a frame through which we see the world, and we process information. So if you give me information that does not fit within that frame, I'm going to throw it away. It's not going to make sense to me. So we need to look for people who understand the framework through which people process information. And for a big one is in Nigeria, it's religion. So we need those religious leaders on our side. So that's part of the work that we are doing to ensure that we get more of them on our side. And, and it's a slow work, right? It's a slow, slow, slow process, right? Ooh. To be able to get it because the US evangelical movement Oh is a my, problem right oh now. Oh my God. Oh, don't get me started. Do not 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 get uh, do you correct me if I'm wrong? It's like a, it's like a, it's like a garment that it's a covered. No, no, no. It's like the tight-fitting skirt and blouse thing that women wear. I think so. I think you know because no, no, I, I, 
Yeah. Like, but is like and the one that they buy from, like the so new the, East, right? That's their buyer thing now that they have the different ones and stuff. Exactly. I wanted to tie that to what you just said about the power of preaching and everything. And I'm, mm-hmm. I want to be very careful that I, I said the right thing. So what actually happened was apparently during the Ramadan, some imams were preaching against the wearing of a buyer. So I think on the day of Eid, some, some of the ladies that, the video that it's online on, on Twitter is ladies wearing a buyer being attacked by men. Yes. That's it. But, but you see the connection, right? You preach against yes. it and then they feel comfortable yelling at women and, you know, probably young women who are wearing yes. this buyer and telling them that they think, but like, and, but it's deeper than that, right? It's deeper than that. Because you, you have to explain, like, why would an imam feel comfortable preaching about this? Thinking of the whole thing about Ramadan and what it actually means for the faith. You couldn't find any other thing to preach about except women's dressing. And, and being able to think that it is okay to preach about women's bodies and what they're wearing and think that that's okay. Like that is so consistent. And it's also very Nigerian because you, we really do not believe that women's bodies belong to them. We mm-hmm. really, really have internalized as a culture that women and girls' bodies does not belong to them. Either your, your body belongs to your father, to your family, and then it's now handed over to another mm-hmm. man to, you know, protect. And to, and to keep in line and to keep in order. And, and we really do believe that. And, and that's through the lens with which we preach. That's through the lens through which we, we, we interrogate our fears. And, and, and that is always that, which is why anytime there is violence, when the police catches a woman, the first thing they want to do is strip her, right? Because you believe that her clothing is what keeps her respectable. And once you remove those clothes, she now becomes less than a person. She becomes an object through which you could enact your rage and through you could enact your punishment. But you have to strip her first because you don't do that to men in the same way, right? Because when you do strip men, you're, you, in a way, you're, you're you know, reminding them, right, of, of, of the power you have over them. What, what you're doing for women is that you're reducing them. From, from the way they can be respected or treated as women. And so okay. it's quite important to, to really think through that and really interrogate that. I think you need to yeah. come back. I think you need to come um, back again. Yes, I, I was doing yeah, this, this, com- this conversation oh, is not fair. Yeah, no, we need a part two. We need a part two. Okay. Yeah. So, so there's still a lot to talk about, but I wanted Buki to talk about something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, recently you've been, um, while, when you were celebrating your birthday, you, you shared um, a couple of places where those who want to support the work yeah. around women empowerment. I wanted to give you an opportunity to please share with our audience, those willing to contribute, support the work, where can they go to, to support the work that, um, not just the one that your organization do, mm-hmm. but, you know, places like Mirabel Center and all of those other organizations that support uh, women. Yes. And then thank I'll you. Ask you one more last one. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity, Stanley. There's some amazing women's rights organizations who are doing such, such important work. Um, here in Abuja, Dorothy and Jamanze Foundation, they do amazing work. They have a shelter that mm-hmm. takes in families, communities, even teenage girls who are pregnant, who are not being supported by their families. And 
Dorothy is amazing because during the pandemic, she was one of the few women, if you called her at 12 midnight, she would go. And they still do that, you know, because when you go to normal places, they'll be like, ah, so we close at five. But if you call Dorothy at one o'clock in the morning and say that somebody's being attacked, I need it, she will find a way to get there, get them the help that they need. So please always give to Dorothy and Jamanzi Foundation. They're amazing. Mirabel Center in Lagos State is, is an institution and they are amazing in the sense that they provide professional services, right? They, they treat the, the, the survivors like clients. They do amazing, amazing work. So Mirabel Center in Lagos, of course, there's also, you know, many other organizations that I could share the list, but that's always two that I always talk about because they provide real-time services um, to survivors. And the other thing I really just want to, to get people to do is that, look, there's a lot of processes that are happening currently in the country. We're trying to push for a gender and equal opportunities bill. There's a constitutional review happening. There's also the 2023 elections coming up. And I think this is also important for men as well, is to say that we would not support politicians who do not support women, right? When you have presidents who are talking about women in the other room, they should be held accountable for that. Or, you know, who make jokes about women or who only, you know, would. So for example, this um, bill that all of us have been talking about, right, in terms of expanding the legislature to create seats for women. So instead of including women in the current seats, what they want to do is to expand it so they can now give those seats to women so they don't have to give up power back because they don't want to share power. So we must continue to protect their little egos in order to be able to ensure that women are in governance systems. I really do think that it's quite important for men to be able to say that. You know what I mean? Like men need to give up power. You do, like you have to share. Story that you feel like it's your world. But we are here, we're not going anywhere. We're here to stay. It's gonna be all right. We're gonna make sure things are good. When women are free, you two, you are free. Do you okay. get like we talking about power, and, and I, I know we're out of time already. Um, and I hopefully we'll be asking you to come back very soon. But I wanted to ask, talking about power, there's mm -hmm. this whole plan of creating additional hundred seats in the National Assembly. Are you going to get one? <laughs> <laughs> Please, no, 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 no. See, the thing is, like, I don't want that one. That's not the one I want. I don't Which want that one. I want one that I already <laughs> on. You get the one you want there. You want to beat. That's the one. You want to beat a man to the one that he has. Exactly that one that they already have. That's the one that I want. Because see, the thing about it is that Stockism. they don't be, exactly. They don't want to be uncomfortable. Mm. They don't want to give up any seat. They're like, hey, which man will give up his seat? Give up your seat. You're a thief. Get away from Jay. Why are you still there? Wow. Why? You... <laughs> what have you done for a community? Try to pay for funerals and pay for water, uh, pushing and water. And marriage. I, I should have asked that question. I should have okay. asked that question. Why are you there? Why are you there? Which bills have you passed? They even had to beg you to pass the Violence Against Persons Prohibition Act. It took 14 years before they passed that bill. Bookie, and yet, bookie, you, you, bookie, now, you bookie, said you bookie, deserve to be dead. Get out of jail. Buki, to be fair, we are we are actually building bridges, though uh, world class bridges. You, you know that yeah. Surulere Bridge, uh, that that one is. Surulere. I mean, I, I don't want to mention names, but 
there's a world class infrastructural masterpiece that, that we built in Surulere that looks, you know, fantastic. I think Stanley can speak more to that, but I mean, just to reduce, Don't violence, come please. Just to reduce violence on this. You are building bridges, you know. <laughs> saying, like you're building bridges for how many years have you been building? <laughs> I'm not sure Buki knows the bridge. I'm actually Bookie talking about the bridge. I'm talking about if you see it, you cry. <laughs> yeah, wait, there's an actual bridge. I thought you were joking. No, I'm not joking. There's a bridge. Best one. <laughs> oh, she doesn't know about the bridge. There's, uh, there's. There's a lawmaker that built a bridge in Surulere. But was it wooden bridge? Yes. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. <laughs> that is that's not a bridge. <laughs> that's a contraption, basically. Yeah, yeah. I know. Bridge. I know. You it's... know, it's like back when, you know, I used to live in Papa as a kid. I call it banter. Like when you I call it banter. Papa to Ajegule, there used to be that um, plank of wood. Paco. Like it's called yeah. exactly that you used to cross to get from a papa to a jingle. Yeah. That's yeah. what you are calling a bridge. Yeah, no, no, yeah. They, they they actually refer to it as a bridge. And I I I, I just feel people like and there, was, and, and there was ribbon cutting, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, the whole cutting. celebration and yeah. all that. Yeah. Celebrate. So it, was like, it was like that Desmond Elliot, what uh what did he yeah. do? It's the same guy, it's the same guy. No, okay. <laughs> Everybody stop, stop everybody. It's the same uh, we're we're completely we're, we're completely out of time. Uh and we can go on and on and on. Yeah. Um definitely I'm going to have to have to bring Buki back. Uh I'm sure she will oblige us. Um Buki, this has been really uh an interesting conversation. I think we need to have more of this type uh, this type of conversation about uh, women and the challenges they face just being Nigerians. You know, I know I know it's not peculiar to us, but it seems to get worse every day in the country. And I think we need to continue to talk about this issue. Hopefully, every one single person whose mind is changed, uh, we mean something for uh, the type of work that you invest everything, your passion, your energy, and resources into. So, uh, Buki, we are very grateful. Um, by able to join us. Let me tell you something to them. So when, when we're discussing about this episode, we we're very concerned that you're going to drag us that we're all men. We were almost very sensitive, <laughs> but we escaped. I'm not giving you a bullet. I, I, no, I was like, it's because this is the first time I'm here, so I didn't want to drag you guys. And the thing about this is like you were asking but you were also asking good questions. So I was like, let me just respect you people. You know oh, that's, <laughs> that's so nice. And also because and like I always say at the end of the day, it's about systems and structures. So if you're joining me to dismantle systems and structures, I will be nice to you. But it's when you start behaving in ways that do not show an understanding of that thing, you deserve to be dragged. So just, you know, be good, guys. Don't give me a reason to drag you. That's all. Oh, sure. I promise. <laughs> For sure. So I thank promise. you, everyone. Thank you, Buki. Right. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Right. Thank uh, yeah. you so much. Okay. Thank you everyone for listening in. Um, this has been really an interesting conversation. It's, it's been extended, but I hope we'll be back to talking about all the issues we didn't cover uh, on this episode. And until we see you again next week, it's bye from me, Monju, and Bye. Yeah. Bye. Good night.